Hello, it's me, Matt, over at Epic Real Estate, and you probably noticed we've gotten a bit off track with our Epic Wealth Wednesdays, but, and maybe you haven't, I don't know, but I'm here to resume today, and if you've just found us recently, allow me to share with you what Epic Wealth Wednesdays are all about. You see, I'm putting up together a, uh, a new book, Epic Wealth. It's going to be my flagship book, encompassing everything that I know about making money and creating wealth, everything that I've I've done to create it for myself. And initially I was inspired to put this together as a, I don't know, I guess a textbook for my son so that he doesn't get distracted by what the mainstream has to share with people on how to get wealthy. And I mean, there's just, there's a ton of dangerous information circulating the, the seamlessly or the seemingly, I should say, countless forms of media that we have at our disposal. And uh, if at some point Mateo decides making money and creating wealth is important to him and it's something he wants to pursue, I want to make sure he has good information on how to get it done. So the book, Epic Wealth, it's for him. I'm writing it for him, but I'm going to share it with you too. So whether you know that be for you and your use or something you want to pass on to your kids as well. Alrighty. Anyway, mid last year, I launched a new podcast of the same name, Epic Wealth, to coincide with the release of the new book. And uh, Murphy's Law seemed to take over and the podcast was released before the book was complete. And because of that, I wasn't too happy, nor was I too inspired to promote the podcast. So there I have what I feel is really my best work poured out uh, onto the the tape recorder there. Uh, And it's the best work that I've done to date stranded out there somewhere in podcast purgatory. And no one has really discovered it. So I just feel like it's out there floating and no one's benefiting from it. So I decided to release it here on Epic Wealth Wednesdays. And I think we're about halfway through the series. And then uh, real estate and the Epic Intensive got in the way and it kind of interrupted the flow. So on Wednesdays, understand it's more of a wealth creation topic and not such a real estate topic. It's not so real estate specific. And with that said, it presented a perfect opportunity to introduce you to an advisor of mine who helped me set up the Epic Wealth Fund. I've received some inquiries on how to set one up. There are some people out there that feel they're ready for it. They want to know if they're ready for it. They want to take that same uh, path. And I thought there's likely more people out there that have wondered the same. And if you haven't, hey, this is information you should at least have and likely aspire to someday. I think it's important for you to have this information when when the timing is right. But it's looking at real estate in a very different way, in a much bigger way, um, particularly when it comes to using other people's money to build your real estate business, to build your real estate portfolio, to build your overall wealth. So I'm going to introduce you to our guest right after this. This is Terrio Media. It ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. You don't have a money problem, you have an idea problem. Welcome to the final frontier, frontier. where the average person has a legitimate shot at creating epic wealth. Your host, Matt Terrio. Alrighty, please help me welcome to the show today, Mr. Joel Block. Joel, welcome to Epic Wealth Wednesdays here on the Epic Real Estate Investing Show. Hey, Matt. Thanks, man. Thanks yeah. for having me. You bet. Glad you're here. I can't believe it's been this long since I've actually invited you to come on, so I think the timing is good. Um, it's, uh, I, I guess it's overdue, but it's good, and here's why, that 
you know, I've been talking about my Epic Wealth Fund for a while on the show in different capacities, no, not really promoting or pitching or anything, but just kind of mentioning it here and there. And it has sparked a lot of curiosity and people have approached me of when it would be a good time for them to make that move or why did I do that instead of a different way. And and so I have my answers and I'll, I'll just kind of run through my quick um, reason why I started a fund and why I asked you to help me do it. Uh, and then you can kind of tell me what's the typical or what's the what are some other options? Is that, is that okay? Sure. Okay, cool. Perfect. Super. So, you know, I, I started investing in real estate with, you know, I really had no real capital to begin with. And after the music business and a, and a divorce, my credit score was devastated. So banks were never an option. So I got really good at, at raising private money to the point where I had, uh, I got up to, I don't know, nine or 10 different LLCs with different partnerships, different strategies, um, all different structures. And it just became a real bookkeeping nightmare for me. And it got really difficult to keep track of who was in which LLC and which strategy we're doing and when their payments were due and what their share was and how much they were supposed to be paid. It just got to be a real headache for me to the point where money was coming my way and I just had to say no to it. I said, I don't want it. I don't want any more headaches. I don't want to set up a new logo. I don't want another tax return. I don't want another bookkeeper, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, you know, you don't want to be in a good position. I mean, you don't want to be in that position to where people are offering you money and you have to say no because it's too cumbersome. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I had a, a business partner at the time, still a very good friend of mine, Fernando. And I think he caught uh, your interview on Kevin Bump's uh, exactly, podcast. Exactly. Right? Yeah, that was a long, yeah, that's that was, right. It was a long time ago. Yeah. And uh, Fernando was, was the guy with always the, the wild and crazy ideas. We got to do this. We got to do that. We got to do this. And he came and and he kind of shared what the, that conversation, that interview on, on that uh, the podcast sounded like. And it just sounded like another wild and crazy um, idea of Fernando's. But he was really persistent with this one. And he went and on his own dime, purchased us tickets to your symposium. And so we came out and I remember I was right in the middle of, of a deal. So I was in and out of your symposium the whole time. And uh, Fernando stayed there, but I was catching bits and pieces. I like, okay, interesting, interesting. And then I was there on the third day and and I had to piece a lot of it together, but it all came really, became really clear for me that, oh my God, I could get rid of all this headache that I have with all these new LLCs. And it would be so much easier for me to take in money this way. And actually it'd be so much easier for me to report and return the money this way. And so I was like, sign me up, I'm in. <laughs> and and uh, that, that's exactly what it's done for me is I don't know if the, I'm your typical client, but maybe you can kind of describe to me, uh, you know, who your typical client is and when's a good time for someone to start considering opening a fund. Well, uh, first of all, I, I don't know that your experience is totally uh, normal in terms of, uh, you know, people having different structures, different people, different this, different that. I mean, it sounds like you have a pretty... Um, sophisticated operation and, and knowing you, I know you have a more sophisticated operation than a lot of people, but the reason, the, the reason that earlier stage people will come and you can't be very early stage, but people that are earlier than you, the reason is that, you know, they, they go get their money, uh, you know, from private money lenders, they get their money from hard money lenders. And, and the rule of thumb is that as you get better at your craft, your cost of capital should come down. I mean, that just is a given that your money should cost you less as you become less of a risk. Uh, you should be uh, compensated for getting better at what you do by having a lower cost of capital. And when the cost of capital comes down, uh, you get to keep more money. I mean, that's just the way it works. Right. So um, what happens is that people eventually kind of get to the lowest limit of what hard money and private money is going to cost them. 
And, and what they're doing is they're cobbling together. You know, there are many guys that uh, have a lot of different sources for this, this capital. So they'll call one guy, Hey, you got any money for me? No, my money's out. It's busy right now. Cause nobody's got unlimited. Uh, and the banks aren't loaning guys like us. So, uh, they, they'd be on the phone all the time, scrambling around, calling for money. And, and even though, you know, it's not equity money, it was still uh, lending money. They still were calling, scrambling around for it. And maybe the investors had capital. Maybe they did not. The other thing is that a lot of times uh, they'd say, well, I want to see the deal. Well, gee, we don't have a lot of time for you to look at the deal. This is really uh, an emergency. I'm really good at what I do. I've gotten very, very good at this. We're not talking about it being your first or second or third deal. You've been to the rodeo a few times and, you know, you're good at this now. Mm-hmm. So what happens is that uh, there's control of capital, there's decision-making, there's speed of uh, moving forward, there's cost of capital. There's a lot of reasons why you want to control the money. And and ultimately, all you have to do is ask, do the guys on Wall Street do it the same way you do? Uh, the answer is no, they don't do it the same as you. And so then the question is, do they do it better than you? And it's certainly yes. <laughs> and they make more money than you, yes. Well, how do those guys do it and what are they doing? And what they do is they then go get capital from individual people and they put it into a pool. And there are very strict rules about how you create a pool, which we're calling a fund. Uh, There's very strict rules about this and you have to follow the rules. Now, the rules aren't terribly complicated. I mean, it's not like uh, when you were 16, you learned how to drive a car. Uh, You know, it was scary then, but you learn how to do it. And setting up a fund might be scary now, but if you follow the rules, you learn how to do it. And, And ultimately, you end up controlling much better capital for a much lower cost with with almost no restrictions. And you can do a lot more stuff a lot faster. And if you could access the capital faster, let's say you had a bank account full of money and, and a deal came along, uh, who's going to get the best deal, you or somebody else? Truth, you know, so I mean, listen, so you, you've got a fund now. You know what this is. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, yeah. No, I was, I, yeah, I said yes. Sorry, you didn't hear me. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, those that listen, those are the, the guys typically that, that come to me. They're guys that say, hey, listen, I've been doing this for a while now. I deserve, uh, you know, a break in the cost of my capital. I deserve better capital. Uh, how do I get it? Mm-hmm. And they just don't know because it's, you know, it's this is kind of an advanced maneuver. And, uh, you know, it's not typically uh, you can't read about it in books. They're not typically talking about this at RIA clubs because it's it's kind of the place where you kind of outgrow the basic information. Right. And and then you want to get into a network of guys that are doing high level, higher, higher level stuff. Now, that doesn't mean you're buying giant buildings like the Empire State Building. I mean, you could buy uh, multifamilies. You could buy 20 uh, houses at one time. Uh, you know, my fund, uh, we mostly buy distressed assets in the Midwest. So we're, we're, we're fixing and flipping uh, mostly single family homes. We own a portfolio of uh, distressed notes, REOs. Uh, we build single family homes. I mean, so we're still doing a lot of single family stuff that the money, it doesn't matter what you do with the money. What matters is how you get the money, how you structure the money, how you pay out the money and, and the cost of your capital. Right. So those are, those are really the issues. Got it. So we might've jumped into this really quickly and I have a tendency to do that. I make, an, I make false assumptions and, and I don't know if this is false or not, but we should probably kind of go over what, what a fund actually is. Yeah. Can we do that real quick? Sure. Okay. Sure. Um, so, you know, at, at its core, so let's look at it from two sides. Let's look at it from the syndicator side. The syndicator is the person who's putting the deal together. So it's it's an active investor. You know, Matt, it would be one of the guys that uh, takes one of your classes or participates with you, probably your podcast listeners. They're out there uh, looking for deals either to wholesale or fix and flip or do something with. And 
what they eventually say is, gee, it would be better for me to have the money available to me than to have to go look for it every single time I need some capital. So before you do the deal, you go out to people and you say, listen, uh, I'm doing pretty good at real estate. We're making a lot of money doing stuff. Uh, the next time I find a deal, would you like to be involved in it? And you'd be very surprised to find out that a lot of people are sitting on uh, IRA money, savings accounts, and other things. Mm -hmm. They're very unhappy with the returns that they're getting. Maybe they're getting a half a percent or even a percent. And there are people who are going to say, you know, I'm not going to give you all my money, but, uh, you know, I'd like to give you some of it because I'd like to earn, uh, you know, 8, 10, 12 percent. And that's kind of the range that we try to, you know, keep people in is 8, 10, 12 percent. And, and a good percentage of that is based on how successful the deal is. So if the deal is very successful, they get a little more. If the deal is not successful and they just get a baseline of, say, like 8 mm percent. -hmm. And, you know, so they get, you know, they get the first money, they get some. Well, so you now have a pool of capital that people have given to you. And basically they're putting bullets in your gun so you can go out and you can go property hunting and you can find deals. And when you go find those deals, uh, you can take them down faster. So a pool is really a mechanism for you to be able to buy more real estate, buy it faster, buy it cheaper, and, and also uh, be able to uh, participate in the profits, but not only participate in the profits, because you really get paid in two ways in this business. One is you get paid for your time, your labor, and you get paid uh, basically that way, that's fees. And the second thing is you get paid for being smart, which is percentage of the profits. Mm -hmm. It's not one or the other, it's both. So you get paid for labor, like that means uh, if the deal needs a broker, you could be the broker if you're licensed. If the deal needs a money broker, you could be the money broker if you're licensed. If it needs a, a contractor, you can do that. Uh, you know, So all the things that, the, all the services that the deal needs, you can do those things. And it's all legal, you just have to tell the investors in advance through your documents that uh, you're gonna be taking these fees and once they sign them, that's their a way of saying okay. And, and then you go and you run your business so that uh, you don't have to wait until the end of the deal, a year or two or three from now. You're getting profits right this minute, right up front. So you're spreading your profit instead of getting a whole bunch on the back and you're spreading it across the front, the middle and the back of the deal, which helps you stay in business. It makes you more uh, secure in being able to take care of the responsibilities you have. It prevents those uh, cash flow nightmares that uh, so many real estate people deal with. Mm -hmm. It's a smarter way to do it. This is the Wall Street way that guys raise money and handle their affairs. And people are used to it. Accountants are used to it. Attorneys are used to it. Uh, they like this structure. It's a good structure. It's been going for about 50 years. So uh, we aren't making this stuff up. Uh, mm -hmm. We're very good at it. We have formulas that are uh, very successful. But uh, it's something that's been adopted by the United States. And the it's called private securities industry. So what you're basically doing, and here's really what's happening, is you're putting uh, the money in an LLC and then the LLC goes and buys the real estate. So what do the investors get? They get shares in the LLC and they become basically silent partners in the LLC. And that's the key part is that they're silent partners. They're not uh, calling you, telling you to paint the building red or plant blue flowers or, you know, they're silent partners. They're just money partners. And you're designated as the active partner, which means that you make the decisions and, you know, and, and they are good with that. So, right. uh, you know, and there, there are reasons they're good with that. So that's, but that's really important is you want them to be silent partners. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. The one, one thing I, I really like the way how you, at your symposium, how you explain it was 
constantly drawing that metaphor or that relation or the the similarities between real real estate and Wall Street and how real estate can be run more efficiently if it's run in a structure like Wall Street. And I yeah. really I really got an amazing insight as to why um, the hedge fund managers are essentially the richest people walking the planet. You know, are very much among the richest people. You just got to see how money really works. And it just gave you a bigger insight of how, like, I guess, globally money works, really. Well, let me let me put it let me put it like this. I'll give you a, sure. I'll give you your, your listeners and, and you uh, just another way of thinking about this. So let's say you raise a million dollars and let's say you're you're going to get 40 percent of the profits because you're you're buying distressed assets and a 60 40 split is fair. So you're going to get 40 percent of the profits. Um, a lot of people, some guys will say, well, that doesn't sound good right now. I get 50 50. So your deal's worse. But there's no cost of capital. You're not paying for any interest before you split. So you're getting a much bigger amount before you split. But anyway, so let's say this. So let's say that you get 40% on all the profit that you generate from a million dollars. And that works out pretty good on whatever your number is. Let's say you make a couple hundred thousand in one year, whatever the number. So you're doing pretty good. Let's say you want to make more. Now you go raise another couple million dollars. So now let's say you're at five million. Now you're making 40% on five million. Or let's say you raise more and you want to raise, uh, you know, now you go to 10, 40% of 10 million. That's why the guys on Wall Street are the richest guys. They're making uh, some percentage of profit on billions and billions of dollars. Now, we don't get to billions because billions is a, that's a different stratosphere for guys in real estate. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but you can imagine that if you're making profit on all the money that you manage, uh, the more money you manage, the more money you can make. And you just have to do it in a smart way. You got to put a deal out there that investors can say yes to. Uh, you have to understand how the deal works, and you have to put it out there in, in a way that the accountants and attorneys like it. And if you do that and you do it well, uh, people will get involved with you. And I'll tell you, man, they uh, they're gonna you know they're gonna be uh, they're gonna they're gonna make you a successful person. Yep, absolutely. And uh, I'm about. I'm almost a full year now into the fund being open. Yeah, we're, we just started at Q, Q4. And as, as great as everything that you, you've suggested, it, it's not like, it's not uh, just, you know, plug and play. And I just kind of want to share a couple of the mistakes that I made and then maybe you can point out some other thing, issues and how, how I could have done that differently and how you've helped people smooth that over. Is that okay? Sure, sure. Okay, cool. So, I'm looking back now. I've got some really clear hindsight now. Looking back is one thing I would suggest is not raising more money than you can deploy, because um, you have a preferred return, and that starts ticking the day that you really open up your doors for business. Mm-hmm. So that was that was one thing. So you don't like I had this idea of oh my god I'm gonna go out and raise five million dollars. I'm gonna have a five million dollar fund because I kind of wanted to say I have a five million dollar fund. But, uh, you know, as we got just to a half a million dollars, I was like, okay, we, let me, I started doing the math. I was like, okay, well, we might want to put this to work before I go out and aggressively raise any more. Um, so that was one thing. The second thing was the accounting has been a real issue um, for, the, for the fund uh, finding, because you have to have a fund administrator. And that, that has been an issue to find someone that would take on a fund is the size of ours. And then the third thing, just opening up a bank account that would handle a fund that we've gone like that was an issue as well. So, can you address those of how I probably could have plugged into the support a little bit better, or how you would advise somebody, or what your comments would be for somebody with those three issues? Yeah, well, the the first one, uh, 
I, I always tell everybody the same thing, just exactly what you said. You know, you raise the money as you need it. So the beauty of a fund is you don't have to raise it all on one day. So you raise a million dollars, you put a million dollars to work, and then you go get another million, you put that to work, and you get another million. So you you grow it slowly over time. You know, you don't get five million on your first day. You'd be overwhelmed, and that, that would not be good. Right. As far as, uh, you know, your uh, accounting or administrative support, uh, you know, you need a good accountant for sure. And remember, the fund pays for all these things. I mean, so you're not, you know, it's not coming out of your side. It's coming out of the fund. Right. Uh, it's very important, you know, maybe, uh, and you and I can talk offline if you're still having some of these difficulties. But, you know, it's, uh, listen, a fund is a business and it just requires uh, the development of some new skills. You have to learn how to run your business in a different way, a more sophisticated way. Uh, and like everything, you have to up the ante on your on your skills. You had to get better marketing skills to get better. You had to get better negotiating skills to get better. Mm-hmm. And when you get into a fund structure, it takes about a year to kind of catch on to how it works. And and if there are still some little bugaboos that aren't working just right, you know, you and I should talk offline, and, and I'll give you some specifics and maybe introduce you to some guys that could help you. Mm-hmm. But there are, there are people. Uh, internally, you got to keep, you know, your basic books and records, and then you give it out to your accountant at the end of the year. And it should probably be somebody who's familiar with this kind of uh, of a structure. So it shouldn't be all that complicated. And if it is complicated, then uh, then maybe we need to take a look at what you're doing, and maybe you're making it, uh, you know, more complicated than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that wouldn't be the first time I've ever done that. <laughs> 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 but but I think you're right about this year period. Um, I mean, we're about we got nine months in the books, and like we're in the middle of Q4, and uh, I think we're just finally starting to like get it. Like everything, yeah. the the investments and the stuff that we've done are starting to produce their return, and everything's starting to come to fruition as the way that we originally envisioned it. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so we're we're moving forward now. But uh, what are some other mistakes or landmines people thinking about this? They would want to. Um, avoid or sidestep? Well, you know, I, I, I think that uh, probably the biggest one is a lot of people, uh, you know, say, Joel, listen, I know a billionaire and uh, he's like a really good friend of mine and he's definitely going to want to put money in my fund. Well, uh, unfortunately, uh, probably not. Mm-hmm. You know, there are, there are very specific kinds of people who invest in these kinds of deals and billionaires are not your people. Uh, people that have 50 or $100 million are, are probably not your people. And here's why. Those kind of guys have entourages of stockbrokers, money managers, asset managers, and, and, and other kind of people that surround them like boxers. And they're not surrounding them because the guy wants to be surrounded. They're surrounding them to keep everybody else out because they don't want anybody to get near that person because they want to hold on to everything themselves. And... You know, it's it's just it's the way it is. You know, people that are uh, at that level, they have a huge amount of deal flow. They're being bombarded all the time by requests for money. Uh, they're not your best guys. Mm-hmm. They're they're just not. Mm-hmm. The best guys for something like this are people that kind of fly low under the radar. They're people that probably have a one to ten million dollar net worth. So they're uh, maybe doctors or business people or lawyers. I mean, they're they're people that do very well. They're successful in business, but they're not at the the next uh, stratosphere. And those are just typically, you know, the very good guys that you, that you want to go for, uh, you know. And by the way, there's two kinds of investors. You have these non-accredited ones, these one, the people that uh, they've got some stuff, but they don't make uh, either a couple hundred thousand a year or, or they don't have a million dollars net worth. Uh, they're still very good investors. And you have to decide up front if you want to deal with those kind of people or not. 
And there are reasons that we talk about in the symposium about why you might deal with them or why you might not. Mm-hmm. And then you have people that have a net worth over a million dollars and you can do, you know, whatever you like with them. Those people are unrestricted. So, you know, you have to build your network. You have to build your database. You have to create relationships. And a lot of times people will say, well, gee, I don't know any of those kind of people. They're they're afraid to move forward because they're afraid that they don't have relationships with investors. Well, you know, if I said to you, uh, when's the last time you saw a yellow car? You'd say, well, I don't really see a lot of yellow cars. But if I said, start looking for yellow cars, all of a sudden you're going to see a yellow car every single day. It's just it's the way our brains work. Right. And if you're not seeing passive investors who want to put money into a syndication or a fund like what we're talking about, it's because you're not looking for them. And it's not because they're not around. It's that you're not looking for them. Once you start looking for them, uh, they're everywhere. They're in elevators, they're in escalators, they're in restaurants, they're everywhere that you go. And if you have something to talk about and you have something to offer to them, then all of a sudden the conversation can go somewhere. Let's say you were to start looking for people and you didn't have a deal and you said, that's what's great about a fund is you always have a fund available to take in capital. Mm-hmm. If if somebody said, uh, hey, well, listen, I'm kind of interested in this. Uh, well, I don't have any. I'm not working on anything right now. I'm kind of busy. Kind of, I just I just took in money a couple months ago, and I'm, I'm working on a deal, so I'll call you in six more months. That's the wrong answer. You don't want to say to a guy who starts inquiring about giving you money, uh, you don't want to tell him you'll call him in six months because I can t- promise you in six months, guess what? That money will be somewhere else and it'll be gone. You won't have access to it. Mm-hmm. Money is... Uh, fleeting and you have to grab it while it's there. So uh, having a fund makes it possible for someone to say, gee, this is uh, very interesting to me. I'd like to put uh, some number of dollars in it. And and then you can, you know, move that uh, forward and make it happen. So, you know, a lot of guys are a little nervous about moving forward because they don't have, uh, they don't think they have the databases or access, but in fact, they haven't been looking for it. They haven't uh, really got anything to sell anyway, even if they were to meet somebody. So that's an issue that uh, comes up very frequently and, uh, you know, it's something that I always uh, talk to people about. So, you know, dealing with people that are at the wrong uh, income bracket or the wrong asset bracket, uh, you know, those are those are very simple things. And those kind of things make a huge difference in terms of getting people to be successful. And uh, I would even imagine uh, when you guys were going uh, forward at the very beginning, and I remember, you know, working with you guys about this. Uh, you know, maybe you were calling on the wrong investors and, uh, you know, and your partner would call me and say, hey, listen, uh, this isn't working. This wasn't. And I'd give him some advice about, you know, how to fine tune, you know, the conversations or how to fine tune who the people were. So, you know, this isn't the kind of thing you take a class and you just go out and you start doing it. I mean, it, it, it's this is a business and you got to get some coaching. You got to get some advisement about how to move forward and how to do it right. Uh, so that you end up with the right people. And, and the other thing is that you want to make sure that the relationships start off on the right foot. If you uh, start taking phone calls from people who call you and say, hey, listen, I want to uh, my wife and I drove by the building and we think that you should paint it uh, yellow. Uh, You know, if you start following the advice of the investors, uh, you are going to hate this business because your phone's going to be ringing off the hook. So you have to establish uh, boundaries and parameters. And we talk a lot about that, too, about how to, you know, how to create a relationship, a successful relationship with an investor so that they don't bother the hell out of you and just cause you uh, to have a living nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and now, so people would say, well, gee, why would an investor be okay with you telling them to not call anymore? Well, the reason is that, you know, we use LLCs, limited liability companies, and all investors want to have limited liability. And what that means is that if they give you a hundred grand uh, and something goes wrong, somebody, 
falls down or breaks their leg or whatever happens to them and they sue, uh, the most the investor can lose is their hundred grand. They're limited to their liability to that hundred grand. They aren't, they don't, uh, the, the, whoever sues can't go and take away all the other money that they have. But if the investor starts acting like a general partner, making operating decisions, then they lose the protection of their limited liability. And, and then the court might say, gee, you know, you have been uh, quite active uh, in making decisions. Uh, maybe you should not be a limited person anymore. Maybe you should be a general person and you should have more liability. So when you explain that to investors, investors are going to say, gee, I don't want to have uh, extra liability. So you know what? Thanks for telling me I will not be calling you with suggestions anymore. And, and you know, so there's a right there's a right and polite way to get people to, uh, you know, uh, abide by the rules that get set up. These things, these things have been set up and they've been successful for a long time. And remember I said, they're called private securities. Well, one of the things that would surprise people is that the private securities industry is bigger than the entire United States stock market. Most people have never even heard of it, but it's bigger than the whole stock market in the whole country. And, and you're thinking, well, how could this possibly be? How is, is it possible, you know, that, uh, that this industry could be so big and I never even heard of it. Well, it's because almost all real estate, investment real estate is owned this way. Almost every building, if you fly in an airplane and you see buildings and commercial properties and other things, it's all owned in LLCs. Businesses are owned in LLCs. All these private uh, businesses are all private stock and that uh, that's called private securities. So investors are very comfortable with this. That's why I said the attorneys and accountants understand it very well. And, and you just have to advise people to operate in some guidelines and if you do it correctly, you're going to have a good experience. Yeah, totally. And, you know, as you kind of exhibited there, I don't know if you were intentional about it, but I think it just comes out because that's just the kind of guy you are. You're really giving, you're really sharing, and you're super, super knowledgeable about this. And you always have a great answer for me anytime that I need need help. So um, I know you've got a symposium coming up and you're going to cover three full days. Is it still three full yeah. days? Tell me about it. Yes. It's coming up soon. Yeah, uh, October 22nd, it'll be in Las Vegas, uh, goes for three days. So it's uh, Sunday evening is a uh, cocktail reception, then all day Monday, Tuesday, and uh, part of Wednesday. Uh, everybody qualifies in. They either qualify in because they're a real estate professional licensed some state in some state or because they're a financial type person, CPA, attorney, banker, lender, or because they have asset class specialization like they're a really good house flipper or they're a really good apartment building or rehabber or what, whatever they are. Uh, everybody who takes the class has to qualify in and they have to meet some criteria. So there's no beginners. There's no wannabes. Mm -hmm. uh, the networking is extraordinary. You'll never go somewhere with better networking than this. And, and that's why is because everybody's at a high level. I mean, imagine a room full of guys like Matt. I, I mean, you know, I mean, think about that, Matt. I mean, I mean, those you, it's, it's guys like you that, that come and a lot of guys that teach other people kind of the basics of real estate. Uh, those guys end up, uh, you know, uh, taking this class too. And because what they find out is that having a fund is a really cool alternative. So they, they teach some people, but they also want to do the real estate deals themselves. And the best way to do those real estate deals is frequently inside of a fund structure or, or some other kind of a structure that's, that's similar. Right. So, uh, we have great guys and, and that's it. So the program, uh, is, uh, coming up in about two months from right now. And, and there, there you go. I mean, it's uh, coming up quick. Perfect. So I know everybody has to basically have a, 
a, a quick conversation with you before you admit them and they got to essentially apply, quote unquote, if that's the right term. I, I, I like to, you know, and, and w- once in a while people buy a ticket, uh, you know, just they'll go on the website, which is dealmakingsymposium.com. Okay. Once in a while people buy a ticket, I'll usually almost always pick up the phone and just double check that uh, that they're the right guys. And uh, my experience is uh, when they come by referral from someone like you or a program like this, they're almost always the right people because uh, people who aren't, uh, who don't have the fundamentals under control, uh, are not going to, they, they just tend not to move forward. I mean, you know, put it like this, the reason that we have these criteria in place is investors are not going to let you practice with their money. They're, they're just not going to, uh, allow you to, uh, they're not going to give you their money and, and say, you know, go ahead and give it a try. I mean, I've had a lot of people say, listen, I'm, I'm just getting started. I've never done this before. I don't have two nickels rubbed together. I, I, so I thought this would be a really good way to get some money. Well, you know, my answer is I can't help you yet because investors are not going to give you any money because you don't have the underlying fundamentals under control. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things I always say is that there's a reason doctors practice on cadavers. You know, I mean, it's a low value target, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. And I mean, it's, it, there's a reason for that, you know, and you have to get your practice, however you get your practice. But once you take other people's money into your uh, stewardship, that's really serious. And you want to be very careful that you know what you're doing before you allow that to happen. So that's the reason that uh, we have the criteria. And that's the reason that people self-select. I mean, the right people tend always to come. And so the networking's awesome and uh, it's just perfect. So if people want to want to participate, I'd say either go to dealmakingsymposium.com or uh, they can reach out directly to me, Joel, at bullseyecap.com. Bullseye cap? Yeah. Okay, Joel at bullseyecap.com or go to dealmakingsymposium.com. Um, everybody that I have referred to, Joel, has been totally ecstatic and pleased with the experience. And I know several of them have already open up their fun through your channels and your avenues and with your help and service. So thank you for being a great partner, a good friend, and uh, we'll talk soon. Hey, listen, man, thanks. You bet, take care. If waiting for your investments to grow feels like waiting for paint to dry, there's a powerful secret your financial planner doesn't want you to know. You can accelerate your investments growth by two, three, or even four times. That's bad news for Wall Street, but great news for you. We're cash flow savvy, and we'd like to offer you free information that will show you how to take control of your investments and double, triple, or even quadruple their returns. And it's yours for free. For the secret your financial planner doesn't want you to know, go to cashflowsavvy.com. That's cashflowsavvy.com.